Welcome to Law Technology Now with host Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of ALM's award-winning magazine, Law Technology News. Hear the latest about technology for the legal community. If it's tech, it's a topic right here. And welcome to the July edition of Law Technology Now. I'm Monica Bay, and boy, do I have a great guest for you today. One of my favorite people on the planet, Judge David Waxey, uh, who is enjoying not quite as much heat as we are enjoying in New York City today. But uh, um, David, why don't you start by telling our audience a little bit about you when you went on the bench, what your background was before? Uh, prior to going on the bench, I was a litigator for almost 30 years, and then I went on the bench in 1999 and have been a United States magistrate judge since then. And uh, it's been a pleasure to have gotten to know you over the last couple of years, and I can't believe you've been there 30 years, so you must, must have started when you were 10, but <laughs> we won't go there. Um, we have a great discussion for you today. Um before we go there, I want to give our usual shout outs that there are three places that you can find our Law Technology Now podcast. You can get it at the ALM site, which is lawtechnologynow.com. And for Legal Talk Network, it's, of course, legaltalknetwork.com. And as I always say, because we're so cool, we're on the iTunes podcast library. And check out the brand new Droid uh, app for the Legal Talk Network. It, it has a whole bunch of cool things. You can, you can get alerts of programs and so forth and so on. And they're going to shortly have an iPhone one, too. Um, in our new issue of Law Technology News... You wrote one of the best articles I've ever had the pleasure to edit that's called Child's Play. And it's on a serious topic, but you took a delightfully witty approach to it by comparing how lawyers need to grow up and act to the rules that they are given when they are kindergarten students. And what I'd like to do is have you first tell us how you came up with this great idea. And then we're going to go through the rules, which are far more substantive than people might suspect. And if people want to read this terrific article, you can get it at our website, www.lawtechnologynews.com. So how'd you come up with this concept, David? Well, I was doing this article for the Journal of Law and Technology on Cooperation and trying to find some things outside of the legal area to give the article a little more flavor. And I got online and was looking just generally under cooperation and came across this website for elementary school teachers that was talking about how do you teach cooperation, and it listed these nine sort of concepts that have to be taught to get to the level of cooperation that everyone should try and provide. And so I got their permission and put it in my article. And then since you liked it, you asked me to do a shortened version, sort of expanding on the elementary school side of the article. So let's start with rule number one, <laughs> the rule number one, which I personally have a tremendously difficult time with, which is... <laughs> Listen, tell us a little bit about why that's important in the context of e-discovery. Well, obviously it goes way beyond e-discovery, but the reason it is so essential in e-discovery is that 
many times people get into disputes and don't really understand what's going on on the other side because they don't listen. And sometimes when I get them either in a hearing or in a settlement conference mode to try and get it resolved, it becomes clear they aren't that far apart. And if they just listened carefully, they probably could have resolved it on their own. And the sad thing is this is not only a problem with lawyers occasionally, it's also a problem with judges sometimes. I sometimes even catch myself not paying enough attention and listening carefully enough and somebody has said something and I ask a stupid question about, well, what about this? And they say, well, judge, I just told you about that. So it goes across the board. Now, do these concepts that you're writing about mostly come up in meet and confer? Or is this something, and we're going to get to the rest of them, Is are these suggestions and recommendations things that apply throughout the entire course of the magistrate judge's involvement in a case? No, I think they apply to everything that goes on in litigation. I mean, I focused on electronic discovery because that's what I was asked to focus on. But it clearly, any kind of discovery dispute, either within the e-discovery world or outside, these concepts apply and would help if everyone would follow them. And the next one, number two, I think, you know, I grew up uh, in California, like every young baby boomer gal, uh, babysitting for a, from the time I was old enough to be able to control the smaller children. Um, and what always was the most challenging thing as as the young teenager trying to be a good babysitter was getting the brats, oops, I mean, getting the, the youngsters to share. Why is it so difficult for people to share when they have when when they're in a in a litigation context? Well, I think there are lots of factors that enter into that problem and I think probably one of the most simplistic is that lawyers that engage in litigation are generally competitive people and they want to do it their way and they want to win and it's contrary to their interest to try and share with someone else to get to our goal of a just, speedy, and inexpensive determination of the action. So it's just something that we have to keep emphasizing. And somehow, I think the key to getting it across is it's going to have to come from clients. If clients would take a position that our goal in this case is the same as the court's goal. We want a just, speedy, and inexpensive determination, and that doesn't mean we want you to fight about absolutely everything in the case. And so sharing is one of those concepts that has to be emphasized by the client. And uh, kind of like peace, love, and rock and roll, uh, that mantra that you're citing really is literally the core of the Federal Rules of Civil Pro and appears in Rule 1. Tell us how how those goals permeate the entire concept of trying to come to cooperation and come to that fair and just and, and inexpensive resolution. Well, you know, the first thing I want to do before I answer your question is put in perspective the fact that this rule was written in terms of what the court should do. And one of the things that came out of the Duke Conference on Civil Litigation in 2010 was that it really is an obligation of counsel and the court. And so the Rules Committee has been looking at language 
to amend Rule 1 to make it clear that it's not only the court that needs to follow this goal, but counsel have their own obligation to do that. So it it just is the key if we're going to have a litigation system that people can have trust and confidence in, and that involves several aspects. One, it can't take too long, and two, it can't cost too much. And that's what develops trust and confidence if people feel like, you know, it was really worth going to federal court to get that case resolved. And it seems that one of the biggest issues over the last two years has been the frustration on the part of litigants where the costs of doing e-discovery, whether it's predictive coding or old-fashioned or whatever mode they're using, has so become almost prohibitively more expensive to the point that sometimes you look at it and go, I'm going to spend more money on trying to deal only with e-discovery than the case is even worth. Um, And that seems to have been a dominant theme, um, not just in terms of decisions about what type of software you use, but how you manage the case. Uh, Are you seeing that as well? Oh, yeah. It's, um, It's an ongoing battle on all aspects of litigation to try and keep people focused on that rule one goal. And, you know, it's, I think... If I could get lawyers to pay a little more attention to these concepts that are set out in that article, I think we'd have a better chance of reaching the goal. And before we take our break, let's talk about another child childhood goal that 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 fares very well in litigation as well, which is taking turns. Yeah, it uh, you know it amazes me when I get battles totally contrary to the rules with lawyers saying, you know, this isn't fair. I have a right to have mine answered first. And it just doesn't make any sense to get in those kind of battles. You're ultimately going to have to do it. And the sad thing is some people, you know, the implication they leave is, well, I've got to get my answers first because then I can get the answers from the other side first so that I can then modify my answers to respond to theirs. Well, that's not the way litigation is supposed to work. You're supposed to be open and honest in your answers. And it ties right back into taking turns. Just as the rule said, there is no nothing in the rule that says one side gets an advantage over the other in terms of taking turns. So just do it and don't have these silly battles about who's going when. And with that good advice, we're going to take a moment to hear from our sponsors, App River, email and web security experts. You can find more about them at appriver.com and PC Law by LexisNexis, and they can be found at PCLaw.com slash radio. We'll be right back. Protect your firm's email with App River. Send confidential emails with confidence using AppRiver's CypherPost Pro email encryption service. With CypherPost Pro, you'll control who sees your messages, and a patented delivery slip will show you when they're received and opened. There's no hardware or software to manage. You can cancel any time, and you get a 30-day free trial. All backed by AppRiver's phenomenal care. Visit AppRiver.com, that's A-P-P-River.com, or call 866-223-223. Four six four five. Tired of all the headaches of running your law firm? 
Want to spend your time doing what really matters? Then you need PC Law. PC Law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter, billing, and accounting software. It has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients. Get back to doing what matters to you. For a free trial, go to PCLaw.com slash radio. That's PCLaw.com slash radio. Or call us at 800-685-2161 today. Promote yourself online with Legal Talk Network by becoming a featured lawyer. Your featured lawyer profile lets potential clients and referral attorneys get to know you in a five-minute podcast interview with Legal Talk Network plus your photo, your bio, and your firm's contact info. Be part of the most progressive online legal network anywhere. Just call Legal Talk Network at 781-551-9960. That's 781-551-9960. Or by emailing admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Be a Legal Talk Network featured lawyer now. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. And we are back. This is Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of Law Technology News with the fabulous Judge David Waxey, a magistrate judge based in Kansas. And we've been talking about how the advice given to kindergartners can often apply to seasoned veteran lawyers, especially in the context of e-discovery. Number four on the list is another one that's really hard, especially for the scorched earth lawyers, compromising. Tell us a little bit about why that's so important in litigation. Well, if you're really going to focus on the goal of just speedy and inexpensive, it is absolutely essential that you compromise on most of the things involved in discovery. It, this idea that discovery controls the outcome of the litigation, I think, is ridiculous. It, it certainly is a strategy that if I can win these discovery battles, the other side will just give up and I'll win the case. Well, You put it in the context that discovery is to get information for trial. We're only trying about 1% of the civil cases in the federal system. So it's not really for trial. It's really to try and get enough information that you can either get a dispositive motion if it's that kind of case or get it settled. I mean, the vast majority of the cases are settling, which obviously takes compromise and it just makes sense that we ought to be using that concept throughout the process. I mean, I had a case the other day. These people were literally asking for a hearing on the question of they wanted additional interrogatories, and they were in a dispute whether it should be five or ten additional interrogatories. So, you know, being a Solomon-like person, I gave them seven. I didn't figure out how you do half an interrogatory, but, you know, that is just foolishness that people can't compromise on those kind of issues. Now, the next rule that you have is one that's probably a little bit more complex, which is doing your part. And I think from what you just said about some of the strategies that litigants sometimes use with perhaps they have ulterior motives about wanting to settle or 
taking a you know, sort of hiding their cards. How how can lawyers do a better job on 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 doing the best they can and really doing their part and holding up their side of the equation in a negotiation? Well, you know, this one didn't fit as clearly to the litigation context, and so I sort of modified it towards your ethical obligation of competency because, as I said in the article, the competent representation is not just the question of winning, but it's the question of getting the just, speedy, and inexpensive determination of the client needs. And to do that, and especially in the e-discovery area, there are so many times I run into lawyers that haven't figured out what's going on with e-discovery, and that is not competent representation. So you've got to, if you're going to be ethical, you've got to get competent, which means if you don't understand it, get trained or get somebody to help you and don't just sort of muddle along acting like you know what you're doing. And it's sad when you get into cases with experienced litigators that they certainly know how to litigate, but they haven't yet focused on e-discovery, and yet they're perfectly willing to come into court and act like they know it when they don't. And interestingly, at the um, American Bar Association's meeting that will take place in August, um, they are going to be addressing some recommendations from the Commission on Ethics 2020 that are, I believe, for the first time going to be addressing um, how much technology competence you need to have to be meeting your ethical obligations. And we have two articles that we will be presenting, um, actually three. Bob Ambrosi, who also has a podcast on the Legal Talk Network, is discussing some of the aspects in these in these proposed rules and vis-a-vis social media. And we have two other articles, one by John Barquette and one by... Um, uh, Mike Arkfeld addressing some of the nuances of of the hearings and what they are proposing and the ramifications of the need for lawyers to break down and learn about e-discovery. Uh, so it should be good reading uh, coming up uh, both on the web and in the August issue of LTN Magazine. Um, number six is showing appreciation. And, and we did a little pull quote in the issue that says, instead of complaining about opposing counsel, try thanking them for their positive contributions to the discovery process. I thought that was a great idea. Can you talk a little bit from your experience, um, Judge Waxy, about how that can really give you an edge or break ice in a, in a dispute? Well, I think sometimes lawyers forget their skills of persuasion, which obviously include making the other people, the other side, want to do what you want them to do. And so how do you, what are the techniques you can use to do that? One of them is if you are pleasant and kind and appreciate what they're doing, they're much more likely to come your direction on the compromise part than if you're calling names and treating them difficult and, you know, all the bad things that some lawyers do to try and win. And the flip side of your doing your own best part is encouraging uh, people to do their best as well. Uh, we're running out of time, so I'm going to jump to your last one, which is don't isolate or exclude anyone. And I thought that was a particularly potent recommendation. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, 
I think it gets back to sort of a holistic view of litigation that you've got to get everything resolved. And if you put it in the context of how do we go about getting cases settled, you've got to get everyone on the same page, in essence, about getting the case resolved instead of focusing on little individual battles that may make you feel better when you go home at night, but don't do anything except cost the client more money. It doesn't help in almost all cases to have spent a lot of time and money on some discovery dispute when you could have really tried to get everyone involved in trying to actually resolve the dispute. I mean, it's amazing how some lawyers just lose track of what the litigation is about. It uh, These little pieces become more important than the whole, and we've got to get the key players together and get them focused on cooperating and compromising to get the thing over with. Well, it's just wonderful advice, and I can't thank you enough for this article. It's called Child's Play. It's in the current issue of Law Technology News. You can find it at www.lawtechnologynews.com. Um, Judge Waxy, if, if our listeners wanted to reach out to you or ask you any questions, what's the best way? Well, my email address is in that article. They can simply email me. Terrific. Uh, huge thank you. I uh, really appreciate your being here, and I, I know how much our listeners are going to appreciate your excellent advice. Uh, I want to take a moment to, again, thank our two sponsors, App River and PC Law by LexisNexis. Special shout-out in New York to David Jasper, David Snow, and Eric Press uh, in Boston, the fabulous Lou Ann Reeb, Mike Hockman, and Kate Kenny at the Legal Talk Network. Um, we will look forward to visiting with you again in August. And of course, I always remind you to remember that there is no crying in baseball or technology. We'll see you in August. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Law Technology Now is produced by the broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening. Join Monica Bay for next month's podcast on the technology issues affecting the legal profession today.